0: Gabriel is the only professional surfer that I know of that completely agrees with you. He doesn't believe in magic boards. So he will ride a board at an event, win that event, and just leave it there. He does not travel with surfboards. Every single event that he shows up to, you know, with maybe some exceptions like G-Land or whatever, he's literally showing up and picking up a fresh batch of boards everywhere that he goes. Hello and welcome back to The Drop. I am Michael Saramella and I know every week I tell you that there's going to be a lot going on in this episode, but I really mean it this time. Um, We're going to first go straight into The Drop with Brendan Buckley, STAB's editor-in-chief, to discuss everything that happened in surfing this week. And that includes things from the largest wave ever surfed to the WSL's new iron-fisted arrangement with the WSL surfers. Um, the fact that surfers do not have the sort of arrangement with surfboard shapers as you might think they do, and also, wetsuits have been made all wrong for, like, ever, apparently. Um, After that, we're going to go straight into the stab cusp. Stace Galbraith is coming on to discuss everything that happened at Manly and then straight into G-Land. We're going to make some picks, so if you are, you know, playing fantasy or perhaps on betonline.ag, we'll have a little bit of insight for you there. And after that, I'm going to hop on with Ian Crane to discuss his new profile film, Crane Brain, which is going to be premiering on Stab Premium on this Saturday and then go live to the public a little bit later on. Uh, we'll have more info on that coming up, but yeah, this is a, a really great interview. You're going to be able to read the full thing on the site, but we have a little snippet for you at the end of the pod. Mm-hmm. So if you want to jump around a little bit, the drop is going to end about halfway through the pod. That's where the cusp is going to kick in, and then the last you know, five to seven minutes are going to be all about Ian Crane. So sit back and relax, and let's hear what happened this week in surfing.
1: Hello,
2: shirtless Mikey C.
0: Brandon Buckley, how the hell are you?
2: I'm very good. I'm very good. Uh, we've got some north wind blowing here. We've got some It's a Low Ferreira clips on Instagram, and that's a good combo.
0: Oh, do you get all excited and just go straight into the wind and try to jump as high as you can?
2: Yeah, yeah, and then it doesn't really happen like that, and, um, but we keep hoping. the The key is to never lose faith.
0: Yeah, and just, you know what they say, just keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results.
2: That's what they say, yeah. That's the best advice I've ever received.
0: <laughs> Actually, it is funny because it reminds me of uh, your MISC that you sent out the other day that is talking about how do you want to surf in 3,000 waves, which for you you're um you're putting that at a year 3 wa- 3000 waves from now cuz that's 58 waves a week which for somebody that you know oh, lives that, by the that coast that was a
2: gentle that was gentle 58 <laughs> easy i'm going 100 at least 100 waves a week easy
0: oh my god you're a spoiled man
2: well i mean i'd say i'd say average surf 20 waves for like you know i'm mostly at beach breaks and then I surf once a day, so yeah, 140.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. So do you actually practice what you preach? Do you think about how you want to surf in the future and work your way up toward that, or you just take off and fling?
2: I do until I see Italo's Instagram, and he ropes me back into the fling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, that uh, it happens to the best of us, but um, he is actually the best of us, and therefore he's kind of the only person who can actually do that.
2: This is true.
0: (laughs) All right, why don't we get into this week's news?
2: Oh, yeah, we've got a lot this week. Let's get in. All right, top story. Nobody gets paid to ride surfboards. There's an asterisk on this title. Is that for me? Yeah, it is for you, actually. Every (laughs) time we do these surfboard things, I realize when we're about to speak that you're the only person it doesn't pertain to. And I was, like, thinking about, I was preparing for this and going, like, I'm just going to say this again to Mikey because we're speaking and he's just going to be like, no, I do. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, But the rest of pretty much everybody does not. Not even, I think the most fascinating one here. So this story unpacks by Mitchell Shepard and unpacks how surfboard sponsorships work. And it really focuses on like the highest level of competition, really. Like it talks to... Paisel, JS, and Cabianca. So just with Paisel and Cabianca, you have the shapers for John, Tyler, Gabriel, like people who just consistently win titles, right? Yep. And people just don't get paid to ride surfboards at that level. I really, I thought that there'd be, I mean, look at Gabe. Like last time we did the rich list, we estimated that he's on 2.2 mil all up. And to think that not even a dollar of that comes from like what is the most important thing that a surfer needs is, it's pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah. Well, he's on like 1.6 from Gillette, so.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which is also important, but.
0: He's still riding the proceeds from that 2012 uh, foray into the armpit.
2: Ah, that was good. I missed that.
0: (laughs) Um, No, but you're right. It is, it's, it's wild. And, you know, I guess it comes back to what we've talked about for a long time is that the margins on surfboards are just pennies compared to what they are on, say, T-shirts and board shorts. And that's why, you know, brands like Quicksilver back in their heyday were paying multiple surfers upwards of a million dollars. And we just are never going to see that in surfboards because the margins are small.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And this it goes into a, a couple of different things. Like, I think a big question for a lot of people is around when you see somebody that is clearly sponsored riding a board from a different brand. Like you randomly see like there's Gabe was on a Mayhem for a bit around the Olympics last year. You see stuff like that and you're like, oh, what's going on here? And that question gets addressed in there, which is really interesting. And then another really interesting one to talk about now is the question was asked to those three shapers about whether or not their team riders give boards back because obviously they sometimes order 50 at a time and they're going to realistically like consistently ride, I don't know, 10. <laughs> so I found it fascinating that Gabe also doesn't give boards back. Cause sometimes you see like even the head photo for this that we used is him with, I think I counted 23 boards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he likes to go all in on the paint jobs. And I just wonder where those things go. Like, surely he doesn't have enough garage space. Does he give them away? Like, I know we're supposed to come with more answers and questions here, but I just wonder about these, like, Gabriel Medina hard-painted surfboards where I'm like, what, where
0: are they? I actually have some insight into this. Well, ooh, ha- I have a half answer to that. Um, okay. I don't know where they go, but I do know that they don't go with him. Um, A couple years back, I was talking with a person that was pretty high up at Rip Curl and that traveled a lot with Gabriel. And he told me something that blew my mind. First of all, Gabriel is the only professional surfer that I know of that completely agrees with you. He doesn't believe in magic boards. So he will ride a board at an event, win that event, and just leave it there. He does not travel with surfboards. Every single event that he shows up to, you know, with maybe some exceptions like G-Land or whatever, he's literally showing up and picking up a fresh batch of boards everywhere that he goes. He does not have a board bag, I don't think. <laughs> like, he just that leaves incredible. 15 boards at one tour stop, goes and picks up 15 at the next one.
2: I mean, that's kind of the dream, right? Who, I mean, even just on, a, on our level, like, traveling with, like, a four boards is annoying. At the high level, they have to travel with, like, a lot of people travel with, like, 20 He's just like, nah, fuck that. Like, just waves pass right with his carry-on at the airport while they're <laughs> sitting in getting hammered by Delta.
0: It's such a power move. And just to, like, it's also a power move in the sense of, like, I he does not give a fuck what he rides. He's just like, oh, yeah, just give me one of those. I'll beat all you guys. Like, no problem. Other surfers are, like, holding on to boards for three years, like, putting it on ice, never riding it unless it's in a heat. Like, so precious. And he just, they're just, like, a tool for him. You know what I mean? Like, it's nothing else it's nothing special it's just like this is i just i technically need to ride this to win this heat but if i wanted to i, I could probably just body surf and win as well
1: he could he could
2: remember the clip i think it was mikey right reconnecting with his board body surfing that was a good clip <laughs>
0: that's a good clip
2: <laughs> um another interesting thought that this provoked for me was remember i forget if you were there with me at the time but i remember i went to the Pizel factory when we were in hawaii this year and i saw one of john's like used boards in there. And I think it was more expensive than any of the brand new boards on the rack. And I just kind of never like, it makes sense, but I'd never seen it in person like that before. Like it was a dark arts board and he even put these like tiny little fins on the tail. I know he's trying that for a bit. And it was there. I think like, you know, average board was close to a thousand. I think this thing was 1200. And I just... I never saw anything like that before. like I said, it makes sense, but it made me think about like, what would you do if you, if you had that board? Like if you had the opportunity to buy one of John's old boards, would you do it to ride it? Would you do it to keep it? Like what, what's the end result when you fork out 1200 on it?
0: Yeah. It's such a weird one, right? Because, you know, it's like if you were to get like Kobe Bryant's shoes, right? You would never, it's not like you would go out and play basketball in those. Like, those would get put probably in, like, a glass case of some sort and put up on the shelf or maybe put up for auction again or whatever. But surfboards, because they are, I don't want to say so disposable, but when you're, like, at that level, you're getting 80 a year or whatever, you know? So, in a sense, like, there are a lot of John John boards out there. So, it's not like there's a super... Um, like the supply demand thing doesn't make them extremely expensive, despite the fact that it's pretty crazy that it's a board of the best surfer in the world. I guess it would be maybe like getting like a golf ball from Tiger Woods. It's like, yeah, but you wouldn't play with that golf ball. But then again, you're way more likely to lose a golf ball than you are to lose a surfboard. So yeah, I don't know. I actually, I guess to that point, I want a CJ Hobgood board when I was like, 11 years old or something like that. And I still have it. I've never ridden it. It's in my uh, crawl space somewhere.
2: Wow, you still have it.
0: Yeah. Well, it was from the year that he won his title. I don't know why or what I plan to do with it. I have no plans for it or whatever, but it feels weird to give it away. It feels weird to sell it. It feels weird to ride. I don't know. I'm in this weird middle ground.
2: You know, I'm just... I'm thinking back now and, like, I... I've been in the past on a crusade against decorative surfboards, like surfboards used as decoration. I think the thing that sparked it for me was I saw one of Steph's at, you know, quick and Roxy, of the same office. And I saw like this just beautiful DHD epoxy surfed a few times. And like Darren Hanley touched this with his hands, made this board happen. And now it's just sitting in a it like near somebody's desk like this is not what this board is made for it's not it's not particularly pretty like i don't know it's just a surfboard like it deserves to be in the water and i get it like i almost get it if you have like a crazy old jerry lopez board or something but like nah fuck it boards are meant to be ridden. that's i'm taking that line right now <laughs> hate it
0: so what about like a broken board can you hang a broken board
2: yeah you can hang a broken board but if something's still functional like because in if you break it, just hang it, you know.
0: Got it. Okay. So if you buy the John John board, you have to break it, and then you can hang it. That's its lifespan.
2: Yeah. But the only reason I didn't because it was because I thought that maybe it was the surfing guy who catfished Paisel into <laughs> buying back his own
0: board. Oh, I thought it might be because it's it's a dark arts and you can't break those, so you just be stuck riding the board for the rest of your life. <laughs> Way too big for you. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> you have no out. <laughs> German surfer rides largest recorded wave breaks world record again. So Mikey, you were living in Costa Rica for a while and I really want your take on this because I didn't think that Leon Gladser would get such a big wave at Pavones, and um I just I just found it very surprising.
0: No, it was actually um Oh fuck, what's this guy's name?
2: Marlon Lipke. (laughs) Marlon Lipke, yes. Easy, easy one.
0: Yeah, it's Marlon Lipke. Um, he took a break from the QS. He's been working on his requalification ever since 2008. He took a, a slight break this winter um, to you know, recalibrate. And he's like, you know, it, it's worked for other people that maybe are not at the top, top level of the sport. I'm going to go to big wave surfing to remain relevant. And he went and rode the biggest wave in the world.
2: You know, that used to be, I'm glad he's bringing it back because it used to be, that's how it used to work. You'd go to big waves when you stopped being relevant. Now I think it's kind of Uh alt-boards. Ah, true. So it's good to kind of revive it back to, (laughs) you know, the roots, if you will. But for real, Sebastian Studner broke the world record. Um, This is a weird story. Let's just, and not not even to have the debate about, oh, it's Nazare and the wave sometimes doesn't break and people are pulling in at Jaws and blah, blah, blah. But okay, this this wave was ridden on October 29th, 2020 that's over 500 days away and i know that the science of lack of science about measuring big waves is a big thing and a big reason why there'd be so much delay but it's just it just this announcement felt so weird to me and sebastian had the record before it was 80 they're saying this is an 86 foot wave 43 foot back if you will um <laughs> and just the the timing and the fanfare around it just It just feels weird to me. How do you feel about it?
0: Well, I didn't feel that much about it, but now I feel like you're, is this like conspiratorial? Like what, what is the surf world like trying to hide with this big news?
2: I don't know. I know that we ran a story not too long ago about how big waves are measured. And honestly, it was weird. It was vague. It was still related to that original way of like taking the surface height and multiplying it. Um, I know people are working really hard to get a more formal way of measuring them. Like you pretty much know at this point, you know, where the biggest wave is going to be ridden. It's going to be Nazare because that's just what happens every year. And you kind of know what day it's going to happen or, you know, what day it could happen. So I've heard of a drone that they're trying to use that can get like a, a proper, proper measurement rather than doing it in hindsight, like they do now. But in that story, we had quotes from people like Kyle Lenny from Andrew Cotton, was, that's a good mix right there, um, talking about how they weren't satisfied with the way it's, it works now. I don't think anybody is, and I think people are looking for solutions, and I think maybe my guess is that we're not too far off from a solution being realized, and maybe this is just like that old way and we're so close to this kind of next step, and this is still the last iteration of it. And it's just kind of like a weird announcement right before GLAN starts. It just, everything about it struck me as weird, but congratulations, Sebastian. That's fucking cool. 86 foot.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, um, Sebastian Studenter is definitely not upset with how the system is working. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy, right? Because if we are to take a step back from this, like every morning I read this newsletter called morning brew. I think I've talked about it before on here and you know, it just gives you an overview of all the important things that happened in the last day. So of course, um, what, the big news of the day today was, unfortunately, the the mass shooting at the school yeah. in Texas, right? But they also cover, you know, other things that happened. And one of them happened to be Sebastian Studner riding an 86-foot wave and having it um, be named the biggest wave ever ridden. So that's, you know, there's millions and millions of people that are going to interact with just this one newsletter. Then there's all the morning news shows or whatever. They're going to pick this up. And so that means you have basically the average person who doesn't know anything about surfing thinking like, holy shit, like how did this German guy become the best surfer in the world? You know, when in reality, like in our world, it means almost next to nothing for whatever reason. Like there's this crazy disparity on like two ends of the spectrum of like how much this matters. <laughs> and to the average person, it probably seems really important
2: that's a good point and it feels like Nazare is the most like I know remember when that movie chasing mavericks came out and for a while like yeah there's this mystique around mavericks and people outside of surfing kind of had heard of that wave and am like whoa a big deal now every time I say Portugal to anybody that knows nothing about surfing the first word that comes out of their mouth that's Nazareth, and I'm like <laughs> uh yeah I live kind of close to there and it's super fun when it's like head high like and I've had it in the airport too. Like I've been like flying out of Lisbon with boards, and people are just like asking like, huh? And I'm like, "No, <laughs> stop it." <laughs> um, so I think yeah, it's it's definitely doing. It's adding to the awareness of our sport. I, I, I think that comes to mind to me though is like, is the ocean kind of a dick for just not going a hundred foot? like it just won't do it
0: (laughs) no i was thinking about this yesterday like if you can make a wave that's 86 feet you can for sure make a wave that's 100 feet right like what is 14 feet in the scheme of that that size you know it's like and also i guess that 86 feet we don't really know maybe it's 75 feet maybe it's 95 feet because like you said we don't really have the the science but i mean i think that this only adds to like like a show like the 100 foot wave right is going to gain traction because of this like there's going to be a trickle down effect it's going to put fuel in garrett mcnamara's fire and like i I do think that the 100 foot wave will be arguably ridden like somebody's going to actually like claim this is a 100 foot wave and hopefully by that time we have more of a specific measurement system but i think it's out there
2: yeah well i just can't wait for this fancy drone system thing to start happening and then Next year, there's somebody that clocks like a 98.9 foot wave, <laughs> and there's this big ethical debate where they have to decide what to do with it.
0: <laughs> you got to round up, right?
2: Yeah, they're gonna have to. They're gonna. <laughs> California University professors claim most wetsuits are being made wrong in peppery peer-reviewed study. Well, guess what, California University wetsuits were invented by a fucking pirate from santa cruz who was wearing an eye patch so just just calm down for a second
0: oh man um this story is actually kind of near and dear to my heart i don't know if you know this um i don't know if you were still at surfing at the time but this was one of the first stories that i actually covered when i was there because it uh they're really close to the old carl's office where surfing magazine was located And I heard about some of the research that they were doing and I went over to Cal State San Marcos and I met up with Sean Newcomer and a few of the other folks there um, to learn about what they were studying in regards to um, wetsuits and all these other things. Um, I I actually ended up in their like pool treadmill thing where it like shoots water at and you have to paddle against it to like keep up with it and stuff. Um, they were, they were actually testing how long you can, um, paddle with a GoPro mouth mount in before a human suffocates and dies. Um, so if you, yeah, if you were wondering what happened to Brian Conley over the past 10 years, he actually was one of the first test subjects and he didn't make it.
2: Those eyes finally dried.
0: (laughs) Um, but no, seriously, like, yeah, they've been doing this research for a really long time and sounds like one of their biggest findings that they just got. Or that they just revealed, is that wetsuits have been, like you said, they've been made all wrong in terms of thickness uh, and where that thickness should be. So, yeah, do you want to break that down a little bit?
2: Yeah, okay. Uh, they spent 10 years and threw Mikey in a weird uh, sex tank <laughs> to just tell you that your wetsuit's <laughs> supposed to be thicker in the legs. <laughs> I mean that's what it says, right? They they did ten years. They put you in this weird, you know, BDSM situation, the tank <laughs> thing, and then and then they said ten years later that hey, your your wetsuit is must be thickest around your torso. As it is right now. It's your legs, and it kind of makes sense. Although there's a good comment on this story already on our site that says like hey, well maybe that's certain environments. There's sometimes when it's just super windy, and that's way more of a factor than the actual water temp. Maybe there's some merit in that too. But overall, the, the leg thing makes sense. I could I could buy that. I could buy it.
0: Yeah, it actually is weird that we didn't really think of that before. Like, it seems obvious in retrospect. And apparently, like, a few brands have been trying to implement it. Like, Hurley was actually one of the first brands that got onto this, and they tried it, but it kind of failed because they weren't able to market it correctly. And then uh, the... Guy who was kind of running her at that time, Bruce Moore. He now works for Florence Marine X. So now apparently Florence Marine X is utilizing some of these theories and technologies. So yeah, if you buy a Florence Marine X suit, be prepared for some uh, chunky
3: thighs. Thunder thighs, thunder, thunder thighs, thunder thighs, thunder, thunder, thunder thighs.
2: Oh my, got them thunder thighs. Boom clack, they smack when I stride. Thunder thighs, huh?
0: Yeah, a couple
2: of a couple of acalupos out there.
0: (laughs) You know me; I'm a an ardent defender of the sciences, so that's why I recently spent six hundred and fifty dollars on a Florence Marine X spring suit with little floaty pads in it.
2: Wow! Look at you!
0: I know, Ninja Turtle. My legs are going to be so warm.
2: They are good for you. CT told to elect single surfer's rep from short list of four tasked with reviewing all future WSL policy changes on board special committee. Well, uh, the title doesn't leave too much up to imagination, but basically an email went out this week to CT Surfers, the five of them that are left at G-Land, saying that they had to choose between Tyler Wright, Griffin Colapinto, Jatson Andre, and Tatiana Weston Webb to be the new Surfers rep. It sounds like in years past, there really hasn't been this shortlist, which is new. The Surfers rep position is not new. That's always been there. But I think maybe because of the mid year cut. I know Connor Coffin used to be the rep, and now he's not on the CT. So I guess they're just responding to the new system, and maybe this is the way, new way they want to do things. But it's still a bit mysterious. Um, seems weird. Seems like a weird selection of names. But um, yeah. I interpret it as the WSL just kind of just being done with the bullshit. I I think the fist is growing iron. Um, (laughs) Everybody, I've been told from somebody that works there that in Eric Logan's office, there's actually a big poster of Kim Jong-un. And so (laughs) I think it's just, I think they're tired of it. And they're saying, hey, this is how it's going to be.
0: Yeah. And there's a, isn't there a clause in the whole thing that basically says that if there's a disagreement that impacts you know, the financial or culture or something. They, they use all the fancy words, but they say basically that the, there's a special vote that goes to the WSL representative. So it essentially means that if these two people disagree on something, that the WSL person is just right, and then whatever they want goes forward.
2: <laughs> it's, uh, it's if it has financial or material harm of the CT or WSL or reputational harm to the C T or WSL, the competition director will have a special casting vote, aka Trump card that nullifies surface concerns. Yeah. So <laughs>
0: That's beautiful. You That's got beautiful. that in there. Yeah, so and so God, being picked as this person would basically just you're just kinda of hung out to dry because you're supposed to be representing the, you know, the rights and the wishes of the tour, but you don't really have that much power, but you'll still probably cop all the flack and yeah. And, and to your point too, like these names that they put up are super interesting. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Do you want to talk about them a little bit? Cause I have some thoughts. Like, I, I don't know if any of these are really a good pick.
2: Oh, I disagree there. I need Jatson. I think the world <laughs> needs more Jatson in general. Did you see his wave at G He's on the big wave world tour now too. He's been doing the QS, the <laughs> CT, the CS, the longboard tour. Now he's a big wave guy too.
0: Well, that's that's my concern. So I have like individual concerns for each of these people, and my concern with Jadson, on top of the fact that, you know, he's like Joe Biden, he could drop off the tour any day now, um, is that he also just Biden's
2: pretty good at G land.
0: (laughs) He loves competitive surfing way too much. Like I feel like if it were up to him, there would just be one giant tour. There'd be fifty events a year, two hundred and fifty competitors in each, no (laughs) lay days.
2: There'd just there'd literally be surf competitions. Three hundred just Christmas would be off.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, him to why do you think he'd be a good pick?
2: I just need more Jats in my life. I just think it's one of those things where it's like trying to make sense out of love. Sometimes you just it's natural. You're drawn to it, and you don't even want to ask questions. You don't want to. You just you just it, it feels right, Mikey. And I need Jats in that role. <laughs> I, need, okay. I just want Jatson. I want more of him. I want them interviewing him. I want him around. Where I want to interview Jatson for the site. And by I I mean Steve Elaine because he could do it in Portuguese and then have it transcribed. So I just we, the world needs more Jatson Andre. Is my simple point.
0: Do you think he um, he he got the uh, the little tip of the cap from the WSL because he he wore Jesse Miley Dyer in his jersey for that one Women's Day.
2: That was one of my favorite maneuvers of the year so
0: far. And, <laughs>
2: Griff's air reverse from that same contest is up there, but that maneuver, I mean, talk about innovation. <laughs>
0: yeah. He's really it's charting incredible. a course for a, a career in surfing that extends far into his fifties and sixties.
2: Ah, uh, we need it.
0: Like we think Slater's anyway, going to what... be the oldest guy on tour, but it's for sure going to be Jackson.
2: It just, we didn't specify what
0: tour though. It'll, <laughs> it'll just be one of them. <laughs> Well, anyway, so the other picks, I'm like, I'm, okay, so Tyler, you know, I feel like on one hand she is, like, a good representative of surfing in very many ways, but there's also there's a bit of an issue with nepotism. Like, she's got these two brothers that just kind of, like, keep finding their way back onto the CT, even though they're mm-hmm. not really supposed to be there, and I just feel like she could keep sort of pulling these strings. Um, Tati, you know, I, I don't know if I've just been a bit corrupted by the make or break thing but i feel like she's got and maybe her hair as well but she's definitely got some like daenerys targaryen vibes so i feel like she could either go full like scorched earth policy or just become way too powerful and i don't know she'd like make some secret pact with the wsl to help her remain in power and she would just the the tour would end up with just her on it somehow um and then griffin like seems like a great guy like the surfers like him i'm sure the wsl likes him I just also think that he could be tricked kind of easily. Like, I feel like the WSL rep would be like, you know, Surfer who wants the tour cut in half says what? And he'd be like, what? Oh, shit. You got me. You got Ooh, me. yeah. Like, and, and there there goes half the tour.
2: I, those are some good points. I mean, you went a little bit queuing on with uh, Toddy, but <laughs> the rest of them, um, those are logical. And those are fair points. So I think that's why it's the WSL is only called, well, I guess it's up to the surfers now to vote it in. But I guess it's going to be Jadson. But anyway, this is this is evolving. We'll see where we end up with this vote. And, yeah, go Jadson. It's your I'm, year.
0: I'm voting for Lakey Peterson. She seems the most level-headed, fair, can see both sides. She seems like a great representative.
2: But she's not on the short list. <laughs>
0: well, can't we offer other ideas? or No, the iron fist is spoken. I told you, Eric Logan, it's
2: framed, too. (laughs) Kim Jong-un in in his office. (laughs) Okay, everybody. Have a seat. Even if you're already seated, get more comfortable. It is time for the surf sin. Sometimes we get surf sins that you hear and you go, this person is deranged. Um, something, Something has gone wrong in their brain. This one I feel like is on the more relatable end of the spectrum. Um, I feel like a lot of people are gonna to listen to this and think, ooh, yeah, I've, I've kind of done that. Um, we'll get into that first. Let's just, uh, let's hear it.
3: Jesus. Forgive me, fathers, for I've sinned. I've got a friend who's learning to surf and sometimes he comes with me, as is often the case. For a given set of conditions there's a number of different spots that are all working and a few times now my friend has come surfing with me and i've taken him to a spot that really is better suited to me than him one time we surfed a beach break where he only managed to get out the back once mostly because it's pretty hard to duck dive a mini male the worst one though was when i took him to a particular spot that involved a rock jump and a little sprint paddle to get in. We waited for a lull and then I gave the word that it was time to go. And when I paddled through that tricky bit, I turned around and saw that he hadn't made it. I told myself that he was just gonna come out of the next break and I paddled up to the peak. The waves were pretty good. So I surfed for two hours and he never made it out. He just went back to where our gear was and sat under the cliff the whole time. Please give me my penance.
2: All right, Mikey, how do you feel about this one? Can you relate?
0: I, I can definitely relate. I mean, I have friends who, you know, either they're not quite at the same level or maybe they are, but they just don't like surfing some of the types of waves that we've gone to. I also have... A wife who you know every time that we're going surfing it's a bit of a conversation are we going to go to the kind of easy rolly wave that she likes or are we going to go to the kind of more punchier bowlier wave that i like um i usually lose that debate but yeah no this is this is a very normal thing i would say um and i don't know if there's i mean we, i say this a lot i don't know if there's anything wrong with it per se but yeah what's your take
2: yeah, I've, I've, I've experienced it. I've definitely seen a lot of people experience it, especially like you said, I feel like in relationships sometimes, if both people like to surf and there's a different taste or skill level, you see this. I I just, I go back to, in my head, I just specific sorry. In my head, I just specifically remember getting people to go out with me on just those stupid big windy days. And, you know, sometimes those days you can't really tell how big it is, so you get out there. And um, just one day, John, I know you listen to this. I remember that day at Grand Plage when we got out there, and I just saw the look in your eyes. And then he, <laughs> he uh, it was bad. He, he just turned around, he caught, like, the biggest set on his head because he tried to paddle in at the wrong time. And so I've done this, but I do think it's another level when you, I mean, there's never a, a part of, there's never a moment in life when you're more vulnerable than when you're waiting for somebody to come in from the water. Like you just feel, you get that thing where like, if you're, if it's tropical, the the sun starts to dry the salt on you and you're going to, you're going to get all itchy if you're not going to shower off and you just, you kind of sit there and you're just so desperate. Um, and so it sounds like his buddy was really just sitting there under that cliff, sad, broken, <laughs> defeated. um, so that's pushing it. That's that's definitely pushing it into some some serious sinning range. So yeah, I think it's something that everybody has to deal with to some degree, but the fact that you stayed out and just your friend
0: sat there and cried on the beach, not great. Not great. But isn't that part of the surfing experience? Like that's part of how we learn and we grow. And like, in my eyes, like you, so here's actually, let me, I'll give my penance because it, comes into my like overall analysis of this. I think what he needs to do is he needs to just have that friend that is like one level above him and likes to surf a wave a level above what he feels ready for and he needs to hop in the car with him and go wherever he goes. Cuz I feel like we all need to like if we're going to subject some people to, you know, bring them to waves that they're not quite comfortable with and we need to be willing to take that leap as well. So I think he needs to go with his psychopath friend, hop in the car, and Mm. try to paddle out wherever his friend is going and it's just yeah it's and i think that as much as i'm saying this is a penance i think he will grow for it i think everybody's better for it in the end like you need to have those experiences where you feel totally overwhelmed and out of place one to appreciate the other days and two to kind of push your own little bar a little bit higher you know every time you have that experience you're like okay i survived again and your tolerance gets a little higher
2: I like that, and I'm coming at it from a similar viewpoint. I'm just kind of flipping it. like you're going more external. I'm gonna kind of look at it internally. I feel like you know he's he's confessing because he felt the guilt because he probably felt selfish for staying out all that time and for taking his buddy to the wave to begin with. So I want him to heal that wound internally, and so instead of relying on somebody else to show him a wave that he's not gonna be comfortable at. I think he needs to find it himself. And whether it's pushing the comfort zone, like you said, going to some wave that he may or may not have business being out at, or just finding a wave that he well and truly hates. I mean, it's important to love waves. It's also important to hate waves, folks. You need that spectrum. You need to truly hate waves. Um, we were talking about Hawaii earlier on the board thing. When we were there in January, uh, you took me to Haliva. I had sworn off that place. I'm a goofy foot. I don't like that rip. I just don't like the wave. And it felt really good for me to reconnect with that hatred that I have for it. <laughs> and so I, feel, I think he needs to – I hope he has a wave out there that he truly hates because it's a beautiful thing to hate a wave. And he needs to go surf that wave ten times straight. Um, wow. And that's what's going to make him heal.
0: Yes. That's a lot. Okay. Um That's actually, and I think that that's that's a lot, but yeah, if you want to do that, that's your choice. I think it'd be easier and better to just hop in the car with your lunatic friend, but if you want to really chastise yourself, you can go with bucks. On the the other point that you're making about Hawaii, that actually brought back an interesting memory. So we surfed a lot of different waves this year. We surfed some big waves, we surfed some little waves, we surfed some clean waves, dirty waves, messy waves, whatever, but... You know what was actually the scariest session that I think we had all season? It wasn't Waimea. It wasn't Pipeline. It was that day at sunset where the wind was like cone wind, like devil wind, and the swell was like rapidly increasing we were the only ones oh, out there and it was like 12 foot and we were like between the west peak and the north peak and i felt like i was just dodging and like 15 foot sets it,
2: it wanted to push you like all even it wanted to push you away from the channel it Wanted put like you had to fight your hardest to like get back towards the channel oh my god that day yeah i agree <laughs> with you you're on those like 75 five dollar surfboards <laughs> it was a, it was a whole thing it just one of those days where they're just it's not even the wave size it's just the amount of energy and water that you feel moving you're like oh my god the ocean could kill me today like, yeah I, this is not where i should be um,
0: so that's what you that should be fun. chasing our, yeah. our center you should be chasing that feeling because that's what you put your friend through even if it was just a little three foot you know beach break that you brought him to that scared the living daylights out of him
2: yeah great great go do that it'll be fun
0: All right. As always, you can send your surf sins to Michael at StabMag.com or Buck at StabMag.com. And remember, you can also send in your penances. We want to see you guys doing the deed. Fix your life, get it straight, get it together, and relieve yourself of this anguish that you've been suffering internally. Obviously, we just had the second Challenger Series event of the year finish up. Rio Wida won in the men's, Teresa Bonvalo won in the women's, and it's really had a bit of a shakeup in the rankings, so we're going to talk about that. And then, of course, GLand. I mean, it just the action doesn't stop this year, so we're going straight into the next CT event. Uh, there's a new format, there are surfers coming back, like Gabriel Medina, and of course, we're going to have some picks for you guys on betonline.ag. So, without further ado, let's hop into the Stab cut.
1: Mikey C. Long time no chat. How you been, mate?
0: I feel like I've been chatting with you. I've been watching you on the TV all week.
1: It's so weird. A lot of people have been saying that to me, and the more I hear it, the, 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 uh, the more uncomfortable it makes me feel, because I have not seen you. So, uh, it's, a, it's merely a one-way relationship there.
0: Yeah, it's full Truman show. Um, but fuck, you're so good. Like, I I don't mean to gush, but you're you're actually such a good commentator. I don't understand how you're not on the CT. You're, it's so funny because like the the WSL system, obviously, it's like set up for tiers of you know competitive surfers, but there's also like in a way like tiers of commentators, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think you know I was I was just a benefactor
1: of a very unique world last year and I got a bit of a leg up to to have a go at this thing but am I no way am I at the at a tier that would represent being CT worthy and you you might argue in you might argue in my favor and that feels nice but I I know exactly where I sit in the pecking order and it's not on the world tour
0: there's people who have been there longer and been doing it longer but I mean doesn't necessarily make them better. Like, I understand that there's politics and there's all that shit, but when it comes to, like, people breaking down surfing, you're one of the best. Ah,
1: thanks, mate. I definitely feel like I just try to say whatever I would say to the surfer's face if I was standing in front of them, which I've had the fortunate favor of being paid to do that before, so I think that's where I get a little bit of confidence to just be able to say what it is that's happening in front of us. I don't feel the need to have to say anything other than exactly what I'm looking at which is yeah I guess I feel like I've yeah been around a lot of the crew long enough that I I know that even if I do maybe hurt someone's feelings or something like that I know that we could still talk it out over a beer or a coffee or whatever and I feel like it's it's better for the person watching especially if they're not a surf viewer they might hopefully um, pick pick up on something that they might have not otherwise which I'm not the only one that does that there's plenty of good commentators that do that
0: But not, yeah, not all of them, I guess, have the experience to be able to like have that sort of critical commentary because they haven't done it themselves and they haven't done it on the coaching side either. So it's, yeah, it's cool to see that insight. And it's great that you're enough of a prick to people's faces that you can, you know, kind of say what you're feeling just when you're watching them surf as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, um. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a blessing and
0: a curse. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, uh, I happen to know that despite the fact that you don't consider yourself CT caliber when it comes to commentating, you are in Bali right now, actually en route to G-land. So um, do you want to give everybody on the Stab Cusp a bit of a life update?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I uh, fortunately enough just joined the team with uh, Quicksilver. Uh, I actually would have to just double check what that job description or job title looked like, but it is more or less uh, Australia, New Zealand, and potentially parts of the Oceania region uh, team manager. So I am, I'm over the moon, Mikey. I'm pretty frothing.
0: Congratulations. I am very, very happy for you. That sounds like a really awesome gig, something that you would certainly excel at. I know that you're already pretty close with a lot of the surfers that you might be working with, Um, you know, Mackenzie Bowden, the Vaughn brothers, etc. And I think that uh, yeah, this is a great spot for you to be. So congratulations.
1: Cheers. Thanks very much. It's kind of funny. I feel like Stab and Quicksilver have had a very symbiotic relationship over the, uh, the last couple of years with staff members bouncing between the two and, and by no way am I stop, stopping doing my stab behaviour but it's just kind of funny how the two brands sort of always sort of ping-ponging off one another and uh, yeah, so much so that I think uh, our very own Shinya Dalby has something in the works that might be uh, right up my alley once he's uh, finished making it, which we'll, we'll keep that on the hush but uh, yeah, big things
0: coming, quick, X stab I think I've seen a little sneak preview of that, um, and it's looking pretty good, so I'm excited for that as well. But tell me, does this mean that you will not be doing WSL commentary anymore? Like, is this a full-time job? How is this going to kind of work out with everything else you do?
1: Yeah, it's a full-time job and I won't be doing WSL commentary anymore in the short-term future. Um, I guess the reason why you take a full-time job is for many reasons, but I think the biggest thing for me is security and an, and an office and a workspace with great people close to home. So there's some things there that I just can't can't really ask for anymore, really, uh, and and pretty excited to learn again and get back in a team environment I've worked myself for so long I'm sort of wondering if I'd ever be employable again and um yeah it certainly <laughs> feels 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 nice to to be yeah you know in in the swing of things pretty much straight away went from manly straight here which is um yeah reminds me of the old days kind of this is the first time going overseas in three years
0: kind of oh my god so what's your role in Gland? what are you doing over there
1: the role in G-Land is a little off what the actual role I applied for was, but I think it's obviously, you know, when a brand gets in behind an event, it's their biggest spend of the year. And I think they just need as many hands on the grounds as possible. And um, it's a good opportunity for me to, I guess, meet both teams from um, the LA office or the Huntington office, I should say. And uh, obviously the Australian office, everyone i went through the job application with is obviously here and i can get a gauge of where everyone's at and what everyone's going to be got planned for the next 12 months as well as helping out with stuff on the ground here at g some um daily highlight stuff and social media stuff and yeah just just straight into it
0: beautiful and how does that work like is, is everybody just in the two camps or has g gotten bigger since i last checked <laughs>
1: I think it' uh, the Shades of Fire festival um, vibes, vibes <laughs> getting around. No, I, I joke. I, it has been a big lift from everyone involved, and um, there's a few different setups. A couple of them um, have been built specifically for this event, and then others, you know, like Bobby's and and and, and the others that they're they've been filled by athletes and, and WSL. Um, I think I might be in a hammock um, deep in the jungle, but I'll take that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's amazing have you been there before and are you taking boards uh never been there before and to be
1: fair never really looked at it on the map um it just as being one of those spots i guess it's uh obviously heavily skewed to captivating the the hearts and the minds of every goofy footer on the globe um so I'm, I'm really excited to go there and yes i brought two boards i bought a 6.2 channel bottom and a 6.3 peter mccabe single fin so fucking look out Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, Stacey's going straight. <laughs> I'm not turning at all.
3: <laughs> no, it's um, um, it's
1: an interesting one to think about, though, because it's sort of like it's obviously such a stretched-out reef, and the forecast at the moment, which we'll get into in a minute, I'm sure, it it, it, it isn't looking great for the event window. It's looking super fun. The, the unfortunate thing is that at the moment it's firing so what we're hoping is is that maybe we we cool off into the event and then the back half of that window is is you know another big swell coming through which is could easily happen this time of year so yeah my point being is you don't want to and I've said this before like you don't want to be out there when the crew are warming up particularly now with the condensed field like there's no there's no hiding with one of the friendlier surfers like a Ryan Callanan or or whoever you know there's just you know you can't you're not you're not out there so especially especially as a team member of someone who's employed and working at the event like if you know you're out there and you got in Kanoa Igarashi's way that's not going
0: to go down too well at the next board meeting no fair enough but isn't I mean as I understand it G land is like over two k's long there's like four or five different takeoff spots do you know if people are going to be allowed to surf different parts of the reef when the comp is on or do the surfers in the event have full reign of that area to your point yeah i'm sure you could sneak away and get away away from the warming
1: up ct surfers which i think we'll obviously try to do and then yeah the surfers they have the option to surf a couple of different parts of the reef because there's the a couple of different scaffolds with a couple of different camera setup options but like you said it's absolutely massive and until i actually get on the ground there we go there tomorrow morning i probably wouldn't be able to really tell you because it's so expansive that lineup it's massive
0: Okay, cool. Well, before we get too into the weeds or in the jungle, as it were, I think we need to talk a bit about the last Challenger Series event that just ended in Manly. You were obviously there on the ground day in, day out. Um, where do you want to start here? Do we start with the winners and work our way back?
1: Yeah, I think so. It was a pretty spectacular performance um, from Rio Waida. I guess we'll get straight into the men because we are in Indonesia and Rio's home turf now he has seriously figured his shit out. He used to be an easily rattleable little Grom. Uh, And I think Mexico last year was a good indication of what he's capable of. Then unfortunately he did absolutely nothing on the Challenger Series last year. And I was just thinking, Oh my God, like I hope, you know, I hope that isn't a trend. I hope it's just sort of a bit of growing pain there. And it certainly was like, he he had the two best guys in the event in his side of the draw, Michael Rodriguez and Ryan Callinan, and he wiped the floor, both of them, after being comboed by both of them in the first third of their heats. That is just remarkable.
0: Yeah, I mean, and like, to your point, he is, like, he's always been an explosive surfer, an exciting surfer, but there was something that he would get into heats, and it looked like he would just have a bit of a meltdown, you know, which coming from a place where there's not such like a structured competitive uh upbringing sort of situation in india like they have events there but it's certainly not like australia or the united states where you know there's a lot of coaches around there's events every weekend etc it makes sense right he just hasn't had the experience but it feels like yeah he finally put everything together all in one place and I dare say, like, I feel like most of the clips we see from him are, you know, big frontside airs and, you know, turns at Karamis and whatnot. But I dare say his backhand might be his secret weapon, which, um, again, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but looking pretty damn good for next week. 100%. Like, never in a
1: million years would I would say Manly is the perfect up for G-Land, but there's going to be some small days in that first um, part of the event window where it looks really fun. And they could easily run around one or two. Uh and he just come off four foot manly doing three, four backhand Rios per wave. Like he is Rios. <laughs> yeah. Ha. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh he's perfectly perfectly primed. And I think that uh the the one thing that you can't walk past, and, and to be honest, I wasn't super impressed with him at Snapper. Uh, particularly on some of those more high-tide days. I think he's really, really suited to anything with a bit of curve. And I'd say that's down to his equipment as well. Like, sharp eyes love a bit of curve in the wave as well. And his surfing just is, when it it clicks, it's as you saw, it's unstoppable.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially those boards that are um, coming out of Portugal. Brendan Buckley's been making them um, in his downtime. I guess we haven't kept him busy enough with the whole you know, stab editor-in-chief thing. So on the side, he's been shaping some of those boards for Rio, and, and they're really coming off nicely. Take it away, Ronnie Blakey.
1: And, uh, well, that sharp eye, that particular board shaped by Brendan Buckley. Is that right? I
0: believe so, yeah? So, yeah, did, did you know that Buck was a shaper?
1: That's <sighs> actually uh, a funny one for Dog Blakey there. I was, I was sitting next to him off camera when he said that, and I just swivel necked over to him and he just saw me straight away and he had to he had to correct himself immediately but it was one of those things there the damage was done and I just said to him straight <laughs> off the bat you know I'm going to use that for the podcast
0: <laughs> so good I wonder like where where was the what was the Freudian slip there like where, where do you think Brendan's name came from
1: well Brendan Lecky on the Gold Coast um, oh, Brendan Bren- Lackey, got it. Okay. It's an—it's honestly not even that big of a deal. It's more just funny because it's just buck, you know. Like, yeah. it, I feel <laughs> like that—that that would have obviously. There's probably three people in the whole world that would have picked up on that, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know. Um, I just happened to be in the studio when he, when he said it and I just, oh man. And the best thing was, R- R- Richie just agreed with him too. And I was like, oh, this is too good. This is just getting better and better. And, um, yeah, it, it, it happens. We, we were talking about all of the, the slip ups that you can have. And, um, <laughs> Ronnie had another cracker one. We were trading war stories. He, he called Yolanda Hopkins from Portugal, um, Tom Whittaker's wife's name, Yolanda Whittaker. <laughs> in heat, <eight. laughs> nice. And then I called Kobe Enright Kobe Bryant twice in one heat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, maybe better than Kobe Aberdeen. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, it depends who you're asking. But yeah, it's it's so easy to do. Like particularly Ronnie he does such an amazing job of just holding the fort all day. I guess he's due for one slip up every fifteen events.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of uh, board slip-ups, there was an interesting moment that was noted to us that, um, yeah, so we saw, obviously, um, Teresa Bonvalo, I hope I'm saying that correctly, win the women's division, which, congratulations, Teresa. But, yeah, there's an interesting moment where she comes in from the final, and she's obviously really excited. She just had a buzzer beater to win the whole thing. And she, uh, she puts her event-winning board down on the sand, and then she's getting chaired up the beach, and you see that she's got a different board behind her. So the board that she was riding, it appears like, was a Chili, and the board getting chaired up the beach with her was a JS. Do you have any insights here?
1: Yeah, so she rode the JS the whole way to the final. i was surfing really good on it. And then it got a little bit bigger on that final day, uh, even during the final hours of that day. And uh, she went back over to a PU, which was the Chili, Uh, the JS was an epoxy and look kind of awkward. If you ask me, um, I guess it is one of those things where you're looking to potentially build new relationships. Uh, I can see that, but I think at the same time too, people do look at those things and uh, it can be viewed as distasteful. So I think as uh, any kids watching out there, which they probably definitely do not listen to this podcast, but maybe their parents do. It's, it's always good to form new relationships, but you've got to remember about the ones you've obviously had and the ones you're going to have in the future. And people pay attention to that shit. So uh, potentially an honest mistake by the caddy picking up the other board. I don't know but uh, she certainly won that final on a chili.
0: Yeah. So interesting. But it is, I mean, in fairness, I didn't know that she surfed the rest of the event on the JS. So that makes it a bit more understandable. It's like the waves in the final day were kind of aberrant compared to the rest of the event. So, you know, in reality, she did a lot more work on that JS.
1: Yeah. It's one of those things where it could have been an honest mistake. So, Look, we'll, we'll give it the benefit of the doubt, but I do think that, um, you know, shapers and sanders and glasses, they're a hard bunch and they do notice that kind of stuff. And not just the brands that we're talking about. They all notice it because they've, they've probably all had their heart broken at some point like that. And it is, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking because that's their art, you know, that's their work. And whether you paid for that board or you didn't, Like I remember Matt Biolis blowing up at, um, geez, rest in peace, Jean De Silva, I'm pretty sure it was, over your way at an ECSC event. He stick it up one of his mayhems, and he was not stoked about it at all. And and the argument from the surfers were, well, we paid for these boards, and Matt was like, I don't give a fuck. I made that board, and you should be representing it. <laughs> I mean, and I, I think it's fair enough. Like, surfboard shaping isn't too glamorous. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. So if you're getting into it, then you should be represented fairly, so...
0: Yeah. Oh, so do I have to take the Ferrari logo off my Nissan Frontier?
1: Um, You, you need to leave both on there, like a kind of Pukas, Takoro, carbianca kind of collab.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Love it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So on the women, um, we saw, you know, a lot of, I'd say, like, not as well-known surfers kind of rise to the top of this event, you know, into the semis and the final and whatnot. Um, Some of the more household names and some of the surfers that fell off the CT this year, you know, the Molly Picklums, the Sally Fitz, they they fell out a bit earlier. But to me, I mean, God, I hate to harp on about this, but still the most impressive and exciting surfing was coming from Katie Simmers. Is that how you saw it as well?
1: Yeah, I think... um... She's the person I'm most interested to see just for a variety of reasons. I always like to see if a winner can back it up because I feel like that's the art in our sport is just staying consistent, whether it be staying consistently winning or staying consistently getting ninths or consistently fucking coming last. Hey, at least you're consistent. Um, (laughs) It's so, yeah, it's always um, interesting to me uh, to see how particularly young kids, which I forget how young she is sometimes um, how she's going to perform. And, um, I thought she performed really well. She, again, she had that same sort of just nonchalant kind of flair, but at the same time too, you know, like she also gives away little tells in her interviews that she does really care. And I, I like that. I feel like it's, it's okay to care and, um, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to see it.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And now we're obviously two events into the Challenger Series season. There's eight total. Each surfer is going to keep their best five results of those. Katie's now got a first and a quarter. I feel like, I mean, granted, there's only five spots for the women, whereas there's 10 for the men. So there's really not much room to move. But I mean, one more result and she's got to be in the top five at the end of the year, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And.
1: I asked her a question, you know, do do you see a difference between winning events and looking to qualify? And let's hear her answer. We're talking in the broadcast about your heat and the difference between looking to qualify and just looking to win events. Did you look at it that way? Um, I don't really know how I look at it. I feel like I just go out there and see what
3: happens. But,
1: yeah, I mean, obviously
3: I want to win the event, so...
1: And yeah, so her answer there obviously doesn't give away too much, but I feel like that's something that as fans uh, we probably need to respect that winning events is fucking cool and it's hard and it's challenging. Doesn't necessarily mean you want to do the rest of the things that come with that. If you don't want to, no one – You don't have to. And she's obviously proven that once. And if she wants to do that again, that's fine. She's a young woman making great money, having a hell time. She just wants to keep winning a few Challenger Series events for the rest of the year. And then maybe the year after that, then more power to her, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, she's got a pretty sweet gig going. So like, as we talked about before, she was obviously over in Australia to compete in these events. But on most of these Challenger Series trips, she's going to be double dipping and making um, actually two separate films that we're doing with Katie. So she filmed with Sully Bailey and Russell Bierke down in Australia. When she goes to Bolito, she's going to be filming with Jordi Smith at J-Bay, and kind of the list goes on. So, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's pretty hard to beat that, because when you're in the CT, it really does feel do or die, right? But the Challenger series, it is a bit more freewheeling, especially when you're not feeling like, oh, I need to qualify and of course it looks like she's probably going to again anyway so she's going to have another decision to make at the end of this year but uh, more power to her she's doing exactly what she wants and it's working out for her
1: yeah absolutely and you make a good point there it gives you a lot more freedom um, because the event windows are a lot shorter with the challenger series and there's also no second chance so if you go there in south africa and you lose first heat yep you're not stoked but there's worse places in the world to lose first heat. You can get straight out of there and you're down the coast of Durban or right down the coast of J Bay. There's plenty of waves around there, plenty of good filming opportunities, plenty of good surfers. It's, yeah, you, you can do so much on the QE when you when you approach it like that. It doesn't have to be a stressful, um, you know, points or die existence like it is for 99% of the rest of the surfers. You, you can be the
0: 1%er like Katie Simmers. Perfect. So there were a few other performances and surfers that I wanted to note from this event. Um, first up, Jet Schilling really made his, um, I'd say, competitive debut where he is like he went from, you know, being little adorable Jet who obviously surfs well, but like maybe isn't seen as a major threat against the the big boys. And just absolutely stomped some people out on that Rip Bowl left. Love to see that. Um, Ryan Callanan looked like probably the most polished surfer of the entire event. Like he looked like the real CT guy out there who was just like kind of easing his way through heats, like just, you know, powerful surfing, clean surfing, precise surfing. And then Leo Firavanti again gets another result. To me, he seems like somebody that could requalify through the Challenger Series 20 years in a row, which interestingly enough. I don't think you could necessarily say about everyone in the CT because a lot of people in the CT, their surfing is really suited to those style of waves. Whereas Leo, he's he's just got such a strong technical approach and a strong competitive mind that, like in these sort of beach break beach breaky events and whatnot, like it just feels like he could get quarterfinals pretty much all day long.
1: Yeah, you're right. He he is a class above. He he, he can back his own decisions. He knows how to read a lineup. And I know you might not think Manley's the hardest wave in the world to read, but it it can be, you know, there's not that many corners on certain tides. And when a surfer of his quality is as good as reading the ocean as he is, it's just hard to beat, you know. So I agree. I feel like he could qualify for as many years as he wants on the, uh, on the Challenger Series, which is... For him, for us to say that, it's probably like an insult. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to be doing that. He he, he wants to be on the tour. He, he wants to be going for world titles. So I hope that he can, you know, for his sake, bag another big result in Bolito and then just surf the rest of this Challenger Series year with maybe a little more, hopefully, aggression in those earlier heats and, and really try to almost you know, go for it Italo style, you know, and, and try to bring those – lift those performances up in those earlier rounds because I think that's what kind of maybe gets him on the CT. If he doesn't get a good start uh, in early rounds, he doesn't really go on to big results. He seems to be like a bit of a momentum surfer, which you just mm. – in the CTs, you don't really get time to warm up. you just like – for him – the last year i watched him compete in australia um when i was working at newcastle i just he just ran straight into philippe toledo like in round three or something or around the ninth round and it's like oh my god like and that's just the tour these days it's 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 so hard
0: that is manly um unless you have anything else to add but we've got a lot to talk about with uh, the old g-land as well it is definitely time Whew. All right, we obviously haven't been here since 1997. Luke Egan was the last winner. They had three events there between '95 and '97. Um, Kelly Slater won one of them. He's the only surfer currently on tour who's had any CT experience out there. Um, yeah, where do we even begin? I mean, it's it's hard because you can't, like I said, you can't really look back at at any specific GLAN stats. But we do. Uh, to me, the closest comparison of a recent CT venue would be Cloudbreak, right? Left, tubes, turns, you know, gets big, also fun when it's small. Um, interesting thing about Cloudbreak is in the nine, or sorry, of the nine winners that it had, eight of them were Goofy Foot. The only regular foot ever to win Cloudbreak was Kelly Slater. Um, do you think we're going to see something similar here at G Land? Uh, similar as in
1: Kelly Slater winning again, potentially. Um, I I think that you could kind of look at those stats the same as like Margaret River and that it was won by goofy footers forever until they realized it was a right. Like how backside tube riding has just been revolutionized since the 90s. I I feel like we will see a natural foot
0: winner. Oh, okay. Why is that exactly?
1: You just look at guys like Jack Robinson, John Florence... If it is big and tubing and it's it's carving turns in between the tube, I mean, the technicality of it in a long ride like that is so difficult to just come like, off your ass and then back on your ass again and then back off and then doing some turns and then back in. The front siders will be able to go faster. They'll be able to drive through the barrel more and potentially come from behind the section and maybe even get a little deeper. But the technicality of the backside tube riding on a long wave like that is, yeah, it won't go It won't go unnoticed, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, interestingly enough, so John John, you know, you think of a equatorial perfect reef wave, and you think John, John, but in reality, John never did all that well at Cloudbreak. He made a semi once, um, and he never won at Chopes. He's won at Pipeline. That's the only like reef wave that he's really won at on tour, so he hasn't had the best results. He's also not had great results in Indo. He's done really poorly at Karamas, which is obviously a very different wave, um, and he didn't do that well in the one that ended at Ulus either, whereas... I mean, you look at a, a Medina and he was in the final in three of the six events that he surfed at cloud break and he won two of them in pretty dominant fashion. So you got to think like Gabby's coming back after this long hiatus. You don't necessarily know what sort of mindset he's in after all the personal stuff that he's gone through, but you don't think that he's coming in as the kind of favorite to this event.
1: He's coming in, in red hot form because I believe he just spent two weeks in the mental eye islands doing exactly what he'd want to be doing, getting barrel going left. So, uh, yeah, he's going to be coming in red hot. And it's not the first time I've been wrong, Mikey, but I'm happy to hang my hat up on it. I I, I just think, like, Jack Robinson, man, he's so just wizard. He might not have his heat game dialed like Gabby and, and these other guys, but I'd, I, I'll, I'll
0: just ride him into the sunset. You think he's going back to back? You have a thing for picking people back to back and it doesn't generally pay off for you. (laughs) No, I know, but I generally don't really care either. And
1: I love love a heart pick. I'm not a stat pick. Even though I love stats, I always... This is why I suck at Fantasy Surfer. Yeah, maybe. Just watch that clip of Jack at Desert Point and just tell me that doesn't send blood rushing.
3: Oh,
0: I mean, it's unbelievable, but to me, the forecast doesn't look like we're going to be getting waves like that. It kind of does look like that size. That wasn't that big. But yeah, but desert four-foot deserts breaks very differently to four-foot G-land. Like G-land needs a bit more size to really hug the reef and like throw out a proper tube. Otherwise, it's a bit high and tight, at least from what I've seen. I've never been there. But like from people that I've talked to as well that have been there, it's like, yeah, you need like a real swell for it to gutter out.
1: For sure. And I think, you know, you, you look at someone like a Gabriel who came on the internet and said on the broadcast, He's coming back to win. He would love to make the final five. So he's going to be coming in so red hot. So, look, if you want to pick him, I'm not going to be saying that you're a sissy. <laughs> all right? You're allowed to pick him. You don't, have to, you don't have to justify it with all this fucking Cloud Break nonsense. I know how fucking gnarly he is. All right? You can pick him.
0: What about a Conor O'Leary or a Nat Young, who both of whom have finaled at Cloudbreak? Um, there's also Miguel Poupeau who is, you know, all these goofy footers that we just don't get to see doing linking turns maneuver on their forehand all year long that we kind of almost forget how they surf in the same way that I feel like I forget what a lot of regular footers look like going backside.
1: They look like William Cardoso and they look like winning the comp. All right. And that's what's <laughs> going to happen here. Backside victory.
0: <laughs> so you're, you're off, off Connor, off Nat, off <sighs> Mickey. No, I, um, I'm i
1: super excited and I think they all deserve to do a forehand bottom turn into a top turn, into a bottom turn, into a top turn, uh, all in one line, maybe even a tube in between. I think that they've done the hard yards or the goofy footers this year with a couple of wobbly rights and they've all managed to save themselves a spot on tour. So they've earned themselves um, some some running lefts in uh, in the beautiful part of the world that we're in. So... Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see it go down. I just, uh, I think as a natural footer, I just, yeah, again, I just have a huge level of respect for like medium-sized backside tube riding. I just think it's
0: so, so difficult. I'd I'd love to watch a lot of it unfold all the way to the final. See, that's the thing. I guess when I'm thinking about this event right now, I'm not really thinking about tubes. I don't think tubes are going to win this event. Like, yeah, you might have to weave one into your wave, but it's more about flow than it is actual impact. I think the real meat of scores from this event are going to come from turns.
1: Yeah, I, I do I do agree with you there, but I also feel like that flow component will will be needing a little bit of you know threading of the tube. And I just think that transition to go from being in a barrel where you have to be compact and, and trying to slow down to coming out to then rattle off a variety of turns, Is like talk about weight distribution and all of those things and staying on your board and on the front foot on the back foot. That that's it's just yeah. I feel like the good guys they make it look way too easy. It's so so difficult. And the other thing I'm kind of hanging my hat up on is that it's pumping now. We might go into a slow pattern and that's going to be pumping at the end and crew are going to be standing in
0: pits. I mean everybody hopes that's what's happened I'm sure. But as of now the forecast. Doesn't necessarily look like that, but we will hold on to hope.
1: Well, you know, the other thing too, though, the, the other thing before we, before we leave that on the forecast is that this is the first event we've had, obviously with a mid-season cut. It's a much shorter draw. I would love to see the WSL just hang their hat up on the last couple of days. Like, this is why the tour is condensed, is to try and get them in the best way as possible. So if it's just a handful of like six out of 10 days... Well, then just wait till the end and see. If it goes down to five out of 10 on the last day, well, then for me, that's probably worth the risk, right?
0: Yeah, fair enough. And yeah, just to, I guess, clarify, there are now 24 men in the draw, 12 women. The way that it's going to work is for the men's side, you're going to have eight round one heats, three people in each. The first place surfer is going to jump straight to round three. The second and third place surfers are going to go to round two, where There's going to be a reseeding, and then those surfers will surf against one another, and the winners will meet the winners of round one in round three. Um, Okay, and then one other, a couple of, well, it feels weird calling him a dark horse, right? Because he has been a world champion in the past two seasons, and he is obviously one of the best surfers in the world, and he's been fucking killing it out at Uluwatu lately. But where do you see somebody like Italo Ferreira coming into this event?
1: Uh, high, like, be very surprised if he doesn't
0: make a final. You've been critical, though, in the past of his ability to sort of link manoeuvres together frontside.
1: I feel like he could probably disguise that with massive airs if it does stay in that smaller range. But, yeah, I'll, I'll use the wave pool as an example. He can't get above a seven on the left in the wave pool. He really struggles. and um, But that's that's a different kettle official. Yeah, that doesn't have a big, massive exclamation point uh, opportunity in the wave like G-Land can offer. So, you know, and for him, like flow to him is like full rotation alley-oop to full rotation frontside air. So, that, you know, to, if you go hop-hop in between that, like no one's going to be overly critical of that. Um, people might write it off, but it's still nine points. So,
0: yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: Okay, cool. Now, on the women's side, obviously we haven't seen the women go left in a long time either um I'm part of me I'm sort of at a loss like my mind instantly goes to Tati being front side and just her skill set especially if it's a little bit hollow I think she'd do really well but are there any people that are coming up for you that you think like oh yeah that they should do well
1: yeah well I think we got a little look at the women during the rerun of Margaret River at Uluwatu in 2018 and Carissa Moore you know again it's sort of Picking Gabby But yeah Carissa Moore Out there Her her backhand And her flow Is really Really good She knows how to Like match the pace Of a wave That's stretching out Like that Uh, And then If it gets You know Anything with a bit of size And some And some tubes On offer Bronte McCauley It's basically like West Oz In a bikini For her So she would be (laughs) So at home And uh, I think We'd all love to Love to see that unfold Because you know, there's plenty of people around the world have a certain skill set, but they don't really always get to show it on the tour. And this could be a great opportunity for her, even though she's a wild card, but it could be a great opportunity for her to sort of show everyone that, hey, I, I am I am really this good. You know, this is what I do on my Instagram and this is what I do in a heat.
0: Yeah, full on Moana style. Um, okay, cool. So I have another sort of dark horse for this event on the women's side. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Sally Fitz could come out and really show her true colors so she just fell off the tour obviously which i'm sure she was pretty devastated about and i think that, that could light a fire under her she also just switched to tnc boards which i know firsthand are fucking incredible in good reef waves and yeah i just think that everything's kind of coming together for her she's had some really good results at Cloudbreak. she's won out there I don't know, I just feel like all these things combined could lead to her just being like, fuck you guys, Like, I just won this thing, I'm obviously supposed to be here.
1: Ten points if you can remember where she got tubed in Australia on her back end last year. Oh, nope, can't do it. Rottnest Island, she threaded a couple of sick ones. So oh, absolutely, right. Sally could do very, very well there, for sure. And if it gets bigger, she's got a massive heart, and she'll have a swing as well. So, yeah, she's got it covered in all sizes.
0: All right, so I'm glad you agree there. Now, we've talked about a lot of people, some who may do well, some who may not. And I don't know what position you're in now, since you don't technically work for the WSL, if you can give some picks, but I've got my own betonline.ag picks that I've made for this event. So I'm going to go ahead... And rip through mine, and you can either tell me if you think I'm off my head or if... Well,
1: I might just jump in right here and just let you know that I absolutely cannot bet seeing as I work for the title sponsor of the event, so...
0: (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Okay.
1: I am just going to have to uh, sit here and drink my nice cold water because I turned the aircon off and I'm dripping in Indonesian sweat right now. Uh, so, yeah, all I can say is, mate, good good luck.
0: All right, so I've got $25 on Tatiana Weston Webb at plus 1,000 to win $250. $25 on Felipe Toledo at plus 800 to win $200. $10 on Coloha Andino at plus 3,300 to win $330. $10 on Sally Fitzgibbons at plus 1,400 to win 140 Thirty dollars on Italo Ferreira at plus six hundred to win one hundred and eighty, and last but not least, twenty dollars on Rio Wida at plus sixty six hundred to win thirteen hundred twenty dollars. So, I think you know who I am actually rooting for in this event.
1: Best of luck there, Mikey. I guess I can still throw in a couple of passion picks. I guess to uh, use Jimmy Wilson's term from I believe the Surfing Magazine days. Yeah, I'll go Jack Robbo, back-to-back, screw it, um, I-, I hope he does well in the men's, and then in the women's, uh, who do I like in the women's? Why don't we go Joanne DeFay, I feel like she's obviously very proven, uh, going left, she's from the Reunion Island, and um, yeah, she definitely knows her way around a
0: left-hand reef break. Oh, you're taking my long time dark horse. I like it. Okay, fair enough. Well, we will see in a short time who is right, who is wrong. Maybe we're both wrong. Um, but yeah, G land coming up soon. Stay tuned and it'll be an exciting event. So won't see Stace on the webcast unless he makes a guest appearance, but, uh, good luck over there, Stacey.
1: Thanks so much, Mikey. And I appreciate all the love and, uh, all the support, uh, regarding my, uh, my new position. Uh, I, I uh, I'm really excited.
0: Oh, Quicksilver got a good one. All right. See you later, man. All right. Thank you, Stacy. And I hope you enjoy your time in G-Land. I am envious for multiple reasons. But, yeah, that's just incredible. I can't wait to see the event. Even if the waves aren't 10-foot in rifling, it's, uh, it's still going to be a treat, I'm sure. So now for this last little bit, I am going to show you a snippet of an interview that I did with Ian Crane... Um, it is promoting his new film, Crane Brain, but we also get into a lot of other topics. Um, if you listen at the end, I'm going to tell you the premiere dates that are happening for this film. But for now, let's just hop in. I'm going to hop in mid-conversation. You're going to have no idea what's going on, and it's going to be great. I feel like almost
4: pressure because I'm somehow like an air guy now with like doing well in the style high contests and stuff, whereas like I wouldn't really think of myself as like an air guy. And then I feel like I can... like like some sort of like pressure where I like I have to do like an air on trips or else like I don't have that kind of look that people might want to see I guess right. which is weird but I just want to go surf and do cutbacks and <laughs> like get barreled so like a lot of times I like feel like a pressure to try airs even though I don't want to or I'm like scared to like send something to the flats because I just want to like keep surfing not <laughs> blow myself to pieces <laughs> yeah
0: that's fair enough but to be fair I remember back when you were, whatever, maybe like 13 or 14 or something, like you won the air show at NSSA Nationals.
4: Uh, Didn't you wear like a Speedo or something? No. I was in the final for an air show at Lowers, and Albie and Matt Muehl were in the final, and Dylan Goodell, and they all wore Speedos. Oh, they wore the Speedos. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And then it was me. I think it was four of us, or maybe there's six of us, and I don't remember the other two guys, but maybe there's just four of us. But I somehow beat those guys in the air <laughs> show. <laughs> and they're all in their Speedos thinking they are killing it. And they just like, it all got smoked. No. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. I would just... I don't know. I guess I always like doing airs, but... I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm like a gnarly air guy compared to some of these guys that are doing crazy shit.
0: Yeah. Well, you do have the, the one air unlocked that nobody else really has in their repertoire the backside stale fish um, is that something that took you a long time to figure out or it just kind of felt natural for you like a natural body movement
4: um <clears throat> growing up I had a trampoline in my backyard and I would always do like a skate deck on there and like do like tricks and shit and me and like Tanner Rizunka he was like one of my best friends growing up he had the trampoline too and would do the same thing So, you'd go to each other's houses and do, like, skate on the trampoline, but instead of, like, skate, like, flip tricks and shit, I'd do, like, grab airs like I was surfing or something, and I'd always try, like, this, like, corrupt flip thing on the trampoline, but I, but it was, like, the corrupt flip has, like, the still fish in it, and then I remember getting older, and I would always do these, like, flyaway just kind of still fishes just out the back, like, little flip thingies. Front side and back side, just, like, whatever. And then we went to the wave pool for the first time in Waco. And I was with Baron and Albie. And it was a stab trip. And they made, like, that first, like, kind of video from Waco, like, that air edit. And Albie was doing them, and Baron did one, and then I was doing them. And then, because I had already, like, been fucking around with it, just from being, like, a kid and just dicking around surfing, that I kind of, like, had it. And then I did a couple... That like I landed, that weren't even good, but I landed it. I was like, oh, what I could do this, and then it just kind of was like a natural grab, and it seems to help me spin more. And you kind of like do if you like hit it right, at least for me, if you like hit it right, it's almost like a flyaway error that when I kind of lock into the grab of uh, control, and then it forces my body to like come around better for the rotation. Whereas if I didn't grow up, I might not spin as good as some other people. And so I kind of, I feel like, I don't know, it just kind of makes the most sense to me, even though it looks pretty cool. Yeah, it <laughs> does <it's> look <laughs> pretty cool. rad, but It's kind of rad, I don't know, maybe it's just because it's the only thing I've tried for so long. If I tried something else for that long, I'd probably be able to do it too. <laughs> but <laughs> it's just the funnest trick for me to do, like for an air, it just feels good. So yeah. I always kept trying it. And now I can do it.
0: <laughs> cool. It started as like a kid thing. Yeah, that's rad. Yep. Okay, so back to this indoor trip. You were there
4: for three months. Where'd you go? So I, uh, it was, quarantine was on. I did the five days in Jakarta, lock up. And then Nate Lawrence was already in South Sumatra. So I flew straight from quarantine to there. And we went and, uh got a majority of the clips that are in the opening part on that trip. And uh I surfed a lot with uh, Crosby Cole Pinto and Jet Schilling and Wyatt McHale. They like were on this they, we were like on different programs, but they were quarantined at the same time as I did, so we kinda just joined forces and all went down and surfed together on that first trip for a couple weeks. And we scored insane waves and knowing no one out and was barreling and just indo dreaming that like the five day lockup was like gone in the wind, like the first session that you're shifting like perfect ways. So I don't know what it was just so sick. So we did that and then flew back to Bali. And then when we got to Bali, it was like locked down, like slowly, like within that first like few days of being back in Bali, everything like shut back down. Like COVID was like back on. Mm-hmm. Businesses were closing, restaurants had a, a lot of them are closed. 8 p.m. curfew. There was like, the cops going around in, like, ban- in, like pa- uh, paddy wagons and arresting people if they're out after dark or if they're partying and shit and going in and around, and, like, everyone was fucked. And it was the first time the fax cards were, like, a thing and there wasn't air travel and all this stuff. Like, it was crazy. And so we were kind of stuck in Bali for, like, almost a month. And it was, like because you're in Bali and the waves are good but like I had gone with like hopes of doing more strike missions like how I flew straight to South Sumatra and scored waves right off the bat which is like the perfect start to what I wanted to do and then being stuck in Bali I was like oh man like this is kind of gnarly we can't go anywhere uh things are getting weird we're getting good waves in Bali and there's like a lot of clips from Bali but it wasn't like what I came to do and then We ended up just, I rented a car, like a van, and unscrewed the seats and sent it over and drove to Lombok and then to Cimbala on the ferries. And we like had a little bed in there and me me and Nate Lawrence just went together solo. And we ended up just staying in Cimbala for I think over a month. And we were driving from yo-yos to super sucks on the Big Swell. To Lakey's in between swells, back to Yo-Yos, back to Supers on the next big swell, chasing the swell that we would surf at Supers. We drive that night onto the ferry to Lombok to Desert Point, and then surf that next day of the swell at Deserts for the day. Drive back to Yo-Yos, on gotten on the ferry, went back to Yo-Yo's, back to Lakey's, like we were just like circumventing all of like Simbawa and Lombok in a van, it was like so cool, like driving and checking everything out and kind of being more like land-based, where I feel like a lot of times in Indo, you like base yourself in Bali and then you fly somewhere for a four-day swell and you fly back to Bali and you're like in your villa and you're eating fucking sushi and you're going partying and it's like kind of like the luxury life, whereas this one was just like in the van, sleeping in the car, like gnarly long drives back breakers sweating it out at lakeys and back to deserts in the mud and like it was more like a barrel surf mission than like a luxury trip which is like what I preferred to do anyway it's just like you have more days in between and you see more things and experience more stuff and uh, it was like the coolest time ever so like being on that lockdown and not being able to fly I was like the best kind of blessing and disguise that could have happened on that time, or no, during that time.
0: All right. So, if you want to watch Crane Brain, you can catch it first on Stab Premium on Saturday, May 28th. Later, it'll go live on June 1st on YouTube for everybody to watch. And in the meantime, if you happen to be at one of their premiere locations, you can catch the film on May 28th at the Wigwam in San Pedro, California, May 31st at O'Neill Surf Shop 41st Ave, Santa Cruz, Wednesday, June 1st at Go Juice in New Smyrna, Florida, Thursday, June 2nd at Nomad Surf Shop in Boynton Beach, Florida, Saturday, June 4th at Bay Local Eatery, Virginia Beach sunday june 5th heritage surf shop in margate new jersey so if you happen to be in those areas at those times i highly recommend that you attend it's going to be an awesome party crane will be there the film's incredible i've seen it myself multiple times now um, and it's not something you want to miss so with that uh this has been a long but really fun episode of the job i hope you enjoyed and until next week over and out